Good day. Good day. Welcome to Classroom Conversations, the platform for Georgia's teachers. Our podcast series is a joint creation of the Georgia Department of Education and Georgia Public Broadcasting. Now in season four, we've been practicing this craft. I'm host Ashley Mingwasser, here to help usher in some best practices for teachers and administrators in Georgia schools. Join me today as we discuss a new topic from our Classroom Conversations Leadership Series. Who said this proverb, practice makes perfect? Deriving from the 1500s Latin-rooted phrase, use maketh mastery, its first appearance in U.S. writings is attributed to the personal diary of John Adams, second U.S. president. That's right. In a January 1761 entry from his lawyering days, pre-White House, Adams is self-reproachful of his legal handling, saying, I was too incautious and unartful in my proceeding, but Practice makes perfect. Even founding fathers pummel themselves in hindsight. Now I don't feel so bad about my box dye hair whims of the early aughts. There are other well-known adaptations of the same phrase. Legendary American football coach Vince Lombardi is known for saying, practice does not make perfect, only perfect practice makes perfect. And still Syracuse and others have popularized the expression, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent suggests tireless repetition leads to habits of behavior, practices. And that's our interest today. High leverage practices and education, effective methods that all educators should know. Leaders and teachers who wield high leverage practices dramatically improve learning outcomes for their schools and their students, the measuring stick of education. This truth is evidence-based. For more on this, we go from president to principal. My leader guest is just too cool for school. I honestly don't know how her school contains her expansive positive energy. Dr. Suzanne Harris has served nine years in administration, 18 total years in education, and is now the principal at Butts County School System's Henderson Mill Middle School. But let me introduce her in fullest esteem. Suzanne is the 2023 Georgia Association of Secondary School Principals, or GASSP, Principal of the Year. That's out of more than 650 middle schools in the state of Georgia. Hi, Dr. Harris. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. I want to know how you're doing. I'm doing really, really well. I had a great summer. and um, School going so well so far this year? Yes, absolutely. That makes me happy. And I want to hear a lot about you in this episode. But let's start with first, congratulations are in order on your GSSP Principal of the Year title. Where were you when you heard the news? Do you remember? So um, it was during dismissal at the end of the day. Um, We had a fire. The fire alarm went off. And... It was during dismissal, like I said before, and all the students were exiting the building. Buses are waiting on students, and we had to stop all of that and evacuate. And uh, when we went to see where the fire fire alarm was going off at, we realized it was in a closet that nobody uses. Interesting. So I don't know if they played a game on me or what, but... It (laughs) went off again, and we went back, so we were like, oh, God, not during dismissal. And then my boss was there. And um, the superintendent, the superintendent was Um, there. And I'm like, oh, Lord, he's going to think I don't know how to run this school. (laughs) School's on fire. Right. So he said, I just want to meet with your teachers for a second. So I called the teachers. Um, You know, it was at the time they were about to head out the door for the day. Right. 
And um, we were sitting down. I wanted to be the model staff member <laughs> sitting there so that I can lead by example from my teachers. And um, then I saw my husband and the team uh, come in, Dr. Long, Alan Long. He's awesome. He's our executive director. He's leading the organization very well. So I appreciated just the the fact that they came to the school and made it a special moment for me. To it was tell you awesome. that you had won. Yes. Oh, that is so <laughs> incredible. How did you celebrate once they gave you this great news? So... I don't celebrate until the mission is done. So even though they honored me with the award, it was right in the middle of spring, right before um, milestone exams. And I wanted to make sure that if I'm going to carry that award or that label as principal of the year, I had to finish the year strong and I had to make sure that our data looked good. And, um, you know, just wanted to be not just with title, but also have the data to back it up. Yeah. I'm always about that. I respect that. I think you should celebrate, though, if you haven't yet. And I think a good school year is a wonderful way to start that celebration. (laughs) Did you always aspire to the principal's office? Did you know you wanted to be a principal? Um, Not initially, but I always wanted to serve others. Um, When I was in the classroom, I knew that if I could become an instructional coach, then I can um, impact more students through working with teachers. So um, after becoming an instructional coach, at a high school, I was um, an academic coach over the ELA department. We saw increase in our writing scores that year and also increase in the um, the milestone scores that year as well. So that kind of gave me affirmation that, you know, this is probably where I need to be, working with teachers, mm-hmm. right? Um, then I became district coach, worked with 17 high and middle schools, and that was also an opportunity to impact more students. Um, then I became an assistant principal right back at the school where I was an academic coach. And that that was a turnaround situation. I enjoyed it. And there was something about making a school environment um, a a really good place or there's something about making a school environment um, positive for students that's very important to me Mm -hmm. because that's the only way they're going to learn is if the environment is positive. Yes, positive climate. Right. There's something you say that I really like, that, that you wanted to get into administration to take care of underserved kids, to affect kids by way of teachers, right. through teachers. And you were telling me that, you know, when you look at a school's data, uh, if a school is struggling in a certain arena, it's easy to blame the teachers. Right. Um, but you said, no, I, I don't want to make that mistake for, because for you, it's all about root causes. Right. Tell me about that. Um, a lot of times it's, it's easy to point the finger and say the teacher didn't do their job right. And I was that person at one point because I said, well, if the school is failing, then it's the teacher's fault. But when I became um, a principal of a low-performing elementary school that was in the bottom 5% of the state, I realized that if teachers aren't equipped with the skills, then they can't necessarily turn water into wine. Mm. And in order to to ensure that they're having positive impact, we have to make sure they have the skills to perform the job. So um, I just know that we have to work with teachers and we have to focus on them. If teachers are good, the kids are going to be awesome. Yeah. yeah. One comes before the other. That's right. That's very interesting. And and obviously that's the topic of our discussion, yeah. these high leverage practices. <laughs> right. and we'll get into that. But what are some personal practices, some evidence-based habits that mm-hmm. you really have in your own life that have worked for you? Um, for me, I just don't see the glass ceiling. You know, yeah, I, like um, I don't like to put limitations on myself in terms of what I can accomplish. A lot of times people um, will speak ill against their own aspirations yes. because they're afraid that they might fail. Yeah. I don't have a fear of failure. So I'll try it. I'll ask for help. I'll, and, and that's another thing, too. You have to be open 
are willing to ask for help. Yes. Because there's nothing to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how to do something, ask for help. So, um, but I always try to not set limitations on what I can do. And I think that's important, especially when you're working in a low-performing school, because you can make the excuse that, oh, you know, they're not going to perform because they're from low socioeconomic background. But I don't see that. I see the low socioeconomic background, but I look at what can I do to help them get to the next level. Failure is not an option. I'll have what she's having. (laughs) I love to hear about habits and traditions that our leaders in schools are known for. What are you you known for saying or doing traditionally at Henderson Mill Middle School? So middle schoolers are notorious for not being nice. No. (laughs) (laughs) So um, in, in trying to develop my students into becoming great citizens, we talk about you know, affirmations and being nice to, to some other people. So at the end of my morning announcements, which are, they're all virtual, because I want my students to see me. If I'm upset about something that happened in the news, I want them to see it. Your face. The face. They want them to see the face. And when I'm happy and I'm celebrating them, I want them to see my face because I want them to know that it's genuine. So at the end of my morning announcements, I always say to them, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. Affirm somebody. Say something nice to somebody else. And what I'm trying to get them to remember is speak positively. Yes. All the time. Like, even though the negatives might happen, there's always something good that you can talk about. Because if we dwell on the negatives all the time, it's going to impact our energy. Yes. And um, and also build somebody else up. Yes, exactly. You know? yeah. Affirm someone today. Right. Tell your good stories. Right. You're going to like this next exercise, Dr. <laughs> Harris. It was meant for you. I want your opinion on these practices that are touted to change your life. Okay. I think you'll get behind them. Uh, tell me where you fall. The first one, wake up at the same time each morning. How well do you do that? Um, Yeah, I do that. So on my phone, I have like 50 alarms for <laughs> different occasions. You make sure you're going to be That's up. That's right. What is your wake-up time? Um, I usually get up at 5.30 if I have my kids. There you or go. Or 6 o'clock if I don't. Okay. So there is a little bit of adjustment period <laughs> That's right. Because I try to cook breakfast in the morning. It's important. That's good. Yeah. You have you have a morning routine, a structure. Yes. I am really bad about getting up at the same time. Do you go to bed at the same time every night? No. No. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's the, part. the hard part. Yes. Especially as school goes on later yes. into the year. Yeah. I like this one a lot, too. Have one conversation every week with someone smarter than you. Do you oh, do that? Yes. All my team members are smarter than me. Oh, you got to make sure so. you're surrounded by smart people when you're leading. So your staff keep you intellectually engaged. Yes. And it's important. You can't be jealous that somebody else could you learn from them. Yes. And I think it's important. You have to, as a leader, not be so much in your ego where you can't Receive. learn from the people around you. Yeah. I love that. Yes. There's an exchange happening right. there. I think this one's going to be your favorite. <laughs> Eliminate criticism and complaining, even mentally. <laughs> I guess I don't understand that one. I don't want one more time. Eliminate criticism and complaining, even mentally, like oh, mentally yeah. criticizing yourself oh, or no. others. Yeah, like if we, if we're thinking negatively, it's harder to have a positive climate, right? right? It manifests so negativity, and and I'm learn as I get older, I'm really understanding myself and just how your energies are important. Mm-hmm. Negative energy can have an impact physically. It sure can. You know what I'm saying? And people can see it on you. Yes. So I stay away from. I try to stay away from negativity. Yes. Yeah. There is there is a studied phenomenon of uh, when two people are talking, their brain waves actually connect, which Ooh. is why sometimes if you're, you know, what would you like for dinner tonight you might be thinking pizza i was thinking pizza right. so there's some sort of there's some sort of something happening yeah. there so how could we not have emotional contagion right how could we not let our, our moods will affect others and our mindset will right i like that one a lot we can always say you know what can i learn from this person right 
everybody we interact with. Exactly. Instead of criticizing. Exactly. Like you said, you learn a lot from your educators. That's right. Do you, I bet they would say they learn a lot from you as well. You know, it's a mutual thing. They they respect the fact that I have a certain set of skills, and I respect the fact that they have a certain set of skills, and it just makes it work perfectly. And because, that's how the boat floats. That's right. Because I empower my people to my team to to do, to um, work within their strengths. Yes. And um, they appreciate it. And when people work within their strengths, they 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 start innately starting to build up the weaknesses because uh, they want to be better. So like that's that. how you work with that. And here's one I added just because it's important to me. Create something to look forward to every day, even if it's small. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> I create things in my mind. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantasy. So, you know, my Love beautiful it. ride from um, where I live to work is it, so there are ostriches on my route. <gasps> Stop. Yes, in Highland Cow. Yes, Highland Cows, Emus. Oh. There's this property that has all these cool animals. But I'm like, man, I wish I could be a photographer. I just pull over and take pictures because sometimes I pass the most beautiful scenes. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, I wish I could do it. You could. Yeah. You could pull I need over. To. I need to. Build in a little, you know, get up at 5 mm-hmm. instead of 5.30. <laughs> get out there with those ostriches and get some pictures. That's right. Send I'm me a picture it. if I'm gonna you do. I'm going to do it. Yes. Suzanne, I mean it. Yes. Uh, before we deep dive, how about a little HLPs 101? All right. So uh, I did a little research. Mm-hmm. I understand there are 22 right. high leverage practices. Okay. They're organized in four areas mm-hmm. of practice. Collaboration. Love that one. <laughs> assessment. Social, emotional, behavioral as one collective group and fourth is instruction Mm -hmm. uh let's just start with the definition what do we mean when we see when we say high leverage what is that part of the term when you think high leverage you're thinking what's that one thing i can do to have the biggest impact i see and so when we're talking about an education we don't have a lot of time you get 180 days or something like that with students so whatever strategies you choose it needs to be able to have the highest impact Sooner than later. I see. Yes. So that's where high leverage comes yes. comes from. Do you have a favorite high leverage practice? Um, I think mine would be more about the assessments, using the data to really see what students need. Um, but you can't really use one. It's like a you have to use a combination because yeah. really and truly all of the categories are important to in order for change to happen within a school. You need all four. Yes. Yes, I got you. What are some of the most used high leverage practices in your middle school? Okay, so we use the, the data piece to, to see where our students are weak and strong. Then we also do the – we provide scaffolding because we want to make sure if they're weak in an area, we can't expect them to rise to be proficient – Immediately. So you provide those levels of uh, support to get them to that point. And also, since COVID, and especially within a middle school, teaching social behaviors is important. Mm. And if that's not taught, then instruction is not going to happen. Interesting. So that's why I can't just say one thing. It has to be a a combination of things. Yeah. You you said modeling is big for you and you you let the student body see your face and your morning announcements every day. So that's a big part of the social, emotional, behavioral. I got you. Um, As principal, how do you select high leverage practices to implement at your school? So we do look at the the data. Now, when we look at the data, it has to be the right data. You can't just haphazardly pick data and say, okay, so this data is saying that the students can't read. But what is the right data? The right data would be what what are the areas of weaknesses? Is it um, vocabulary acquisition or is it... um, Fluency. So you have to really make sure that you have the right data because if not, then you're going to um, implement the wrong action plan. Mm-hmm. And then you will never see the results for what you thought that you were trying to impact. I see. Yes. So you're looking at the data first. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, after you look at the data, let's say, you know, are you are you effectively implementing all 22 practices at the same time? No. Or are you focusing on five that week or school year? Or We've been focusing on three. The three that I spoke about with the data analysis, the scaffolding of the learning and teaching the social behaviors. But just because of Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs, uh, needs yeah. like I cannot like sidestep the social behavior part of it. This is what we have to do first, right? I got gotcha. you. So we look at we look at the data. We look at what skills are needed. We, I can say my my students aren't reading, but what skills do my teachers need in order to impact Get them those students? Reading. Yes, I see. So once you look at the data, it, it helps you identify what you need to do. Then you look at, do I have the skill set on my staff? Do they have the collective efficacy to get this done? Got it. And then um, once you do that, then I'm looking at, do we have the resources? Mm. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're um, saying. Can you be I like know what you're kindergarten saying. Kindergarten class, you don't have your little, I forgot what they call it, those tables where they do guided reading. Uh -huh. That's a resource. Like you ask the teachers to do guided reading, you need to have the furniture. Yes. So those little things, you got to make sure that all of those things are in place in order to have the necessary change. And you're happen. such a root causes person. It, it makes sense to me that you're looking at data first. And back to your explanation of high leverage, you're picking the things that need to be done for your students now right. to get them the greatest greatest results. Right. What uh, was your implementation plan from beginning to end when you implement a high leverage practice? Okay, so can I be specific? Sure. Okay, so um, after COVID, we noticed that our literate, uh, reading levels or lexile levels were stagnant. So we realized that we had to do something to, in, to help our students grow in reading because, you know, they were out of school for a period of time. Um, a lot of them weren't reading. So we had to look at, that's what the data was telling us. Then the data was also telling us that there was some social, emotional behavior issues going on with our students. So I had to look at the read, the literacy piece, which includes writing, listening, and speaking. And I had to look at the behavior piece. How do I make sure that students are prepared mentally for what is to come? So I had to attack both of them at the same time. So um, for an implementation, what we did was first we went through, I, I call it, it's called managing complex change. And what it talks about are all the components that need to be in place in order for change to happen effectively. So you have to have a clear vision. And when I talked to my teachers, we looked at our discipline data, and I'm like, you know, we can't continue into the new year with high numbers like this. So we have to really and truly work with getting to know our kids, building those relationships, those positive relationships, um, helping them build positive relationships with each other. And once we've done that, so we've, put some things in place for that. And then we looked at the literacy side of things. Do the teachers have the skills to teach reading in middle school? Teaching reading is a, an elementary school um, skill set, right? I see. In middle school, you teach reading for information. Ah, so you have different kids, approach. Right. So you have kids come into the middle school with gaps in their learning, and now we're looking at middle school teachers saying, hey, I need for you to teach that student how to read. They did not have the skills. So, um, so, after, so like I said, I'm attacking both ends cannot ignore the social emotional but I can't ignore literacy either mm -hmm. so I had to to move like that so um as we as we've gone through assessing the skill set of the staff on both sides we've brought in training for them so on the social emotional side we brought in capturing kids hearts to train our teachers on how to build relationships you would think that's something easy that you could do but it's not like you ha it's not it's more than just Saying hi. It's being intentional yeah. about the, the connection. It's a skill, yes. to your point. Right. And then we brought in somebody to come in and teach our teachers how to teach writing and how to teach reading 
to our middle school students. So that's how we kind of implemented the plan. I started um, the process of implementing our plan. You brought in some expertise. And how do you use, I know data-driven is big for your high leverage practice right now. How are you using data to monitor the effectiveness of that work? How are you seeing that that growth line go up? We use a Georgia Health Survey. Um, That's how we identified that our students were feeling disenfranchised. Ah. Um, A lot of them didn't feel like they belonged. They were surveyed. Right. So the state of Georgia does that for every school, elementary, all the way to high. Hmm. So I used the data to see what areas were they saying that they were struggling with. They say they like their teachers. Oh. They say they like each other, but they might feel like they have issues with their peers. So I knew what area to, to address. Um, so that was how I used the data in the initial phase. Um, as the year goes on, we do um, some in-house surveying. We use that data to see if, um, is it, responsible decision-making? Are they struggling in that area? Are they struggling with social awareness, self-awareness? And then we put, um, we do lessons with them every week based on what the data is showing us to try to build their skill set. So you're really pivoting and adjusting week by week as you go. Yes. And that's how you're seeing the change come. Right. And then on the literacy side, after we've taught the writing, um, we do benchmarks throughout the year with the writing. At the end of the year, we noticed that our Data was improvement, proving in terms of how many points students were earning on the writing part of the milestones. On the reading side, we taught teachers how to do guided reading, yes, in the middle school setting. Wow. Teachers do guided reading in class with students based on the data and based on the skills that they're missing. So um, we, we, we pride ourselves in monitoring our students on a weekly basis to make Pretty sure that constantly, they're growing. Pretty constantly, yes. Are high leverage practices used only in certain subject areas or can they be used in all content areas? So the beauty of selecting a high leverage practice is that it's, you can use it across. It's uniform. All. Yes. Well, that's so, nice. And that's why it's important to select those because you can use one little thing that has a big impact on the whole school. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that high leverage. Yeah. It's like comes loaded. Right. Yeah. <laughs> How do they impact student engagement in your classroom? Are you seeing differences there? Yes. So now, so when we first started out, I modeled how to do the positive, you know, the something good. We say something positive, I modeled doing affirmations. Of course you modeled all right. those things. <laughs> and then my teachers, I started putting them on the spot, like, I need for you to do the same. And they've been doing it. And then the kids are like, hey, can I can I say something good? Oh. Or can I do an affirmation? And, the, and I'm going to give an example. Um, I had one student, we had a, that horrible tornado that passed through Griffin. Recently, and, yes. yeah. And he lost his home. And he came on that morning, the, the next, the following week after the storm. And he said, my something good is that insurance company came out. They saw the house and they're going to replace it. That was his something good. In the middle of, midst of all of that all he was that going chaos. through, he wanted to share that positivity. Wow. So, um, so you know, that's that's something I treasure because that's how we're impacting them. Um, on the other side, we're, like I said, we're seeing the improvements in their reading and also their writing. It's a trickle down right. effect. Right. What support do teachers need from you as their leader, Dr. Harris, in order to trickle down and let this carry on? Right. So as I mentioned earlier about managing complex change, if teachers do not have the skills to get the job done, it's going to cause them great anxiety. Mm-hmm. Try to get somebody, ask me to do something I don't know how to do. It's going to cause some anxiety. True. I think that today might have caused an anxiety. I'm just No, <laughs> it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> but so... You have to be intentional about finding what they need to make them feel competent. So that's something that I do to support my teachers. And then, of course, like I said before, those resources. 
if they don't have resources, it causes frustration. Yeah. So you want to make sure that everything they need to get that job done is in place before you even implement the change. And then the last thing that I try to make sure that I'm doing is consistent monitoring and giving feedback, timely feedback. Teachers want to know that they're doing the job well. Yes. I don't care which school you go to. Nobody just goes in the classroom to not be successful. They're like, well, I've got this, I guess. Right. I'm doing the best I can. I haven't heard anything. Mm-hmm. From- my teachers will knock on my door like, hey, how, how did you think that, you know, how you think that went? Like, they want to know. Good. So that's something that, and because they're getting those those feedback, they then it starts to build them up, and they start feeling better about themselves. Because with the feedback, doesn't come just criticism. It's not criticism. Right. It's man, you did this really well, but if you do this over here, it make it even better. Or you, you know what, you mastered this. Thank you so much. I'm going to send somebody to your room. To and then they can you. soar, right? In that skill, right? What there's got to be just such a school wide school climate effect from this. <laughs> so what is the impact of high leverage practices on the climate of your so middle school? The confidence of my teachers are sky high. They, they feel competent. The collective efficacy in the building. just know that it, Yes, everybody knows, that, you know, I got this skill down. Today we had instructional planning, and I'm looking at my AP like, I guess they don't need us. You know, they, they're doing it on their own. And that's a good feeling yes. when they feel like they, they have it. Um, we went from over 1,200 um, referrals before COVID, I got there right after co- the year of COVID. Um, uh, COVID was in the spring. I got there in um, July. The previous year, it was 1,200. Had they finished that year, it might have gone to the same level. But when we looked at our data, and we're going to skip over 20 to 21 because that was still like a, a weird year because kids were not all in the building. F- yeah, in yes. flux. Right. So the full year would be 21, 22. We went down to 500 and something referrals. So we've Less already two-third cuts. So because um, it's more than 1,200. So yeah. it was like a, a big chunk that we cut it. So now and then this year we went down even more. Wow. So on the behavior side, we're seeing more positive behaviors from our kids. Um, over this, I brag, I've brag. i been bragging on my Twitter. Um, my students have been coming to the building all summer to help us get ready. Like they're the ones do, helping us to get ready. for. And the high schoolers are coming back. Oh. Because they the positive yes they love what happened at the middle school they love their experiences so they come back um, we've improved our retention rate we went from needing double digit staff members to needing single digits I think this year we only needed six teachers wow when I got there um, the previous administration had hired around maybe eleven or so so we're also they're staying yes they have staying. the skills the tools the support from you right. the positivity to keep them in the game yes. And um, we also increased our student population. Oh, wow. It's, so what's happening, we have a lot of people coming to the area because of the logistic hubs that are they're, they're building in, in McDonough and in uh, Jackson. And they have we're surrounded by a lot of private schools. And people can choose to go there. But because of what they're hearing about the school, the positive you know, um, messaging. So they're, they're coming. They're taking their kids. Coming to Henderson Mill. Yes, I met quite a bit of new um, families last night. I was very excited. Oh, that's awesome. I met a, a lot of new parents throughout the summer, so that's exciting. That is exciting. And then we're PBIS, we've been emerging. That means you're trying to do, P, do you, are you familiar with PBIS? Explain it. So PBIS is Positive Behavior Interventions and Supports. And it's just saying that instead of always punishing, you're rewarding kids with for positive behavior. Positive behavior, right. yes. So we went from being emergent to operational after one year. Um, and then we just won a major award 
from the state. It's a um, MTSS organization. They deal with like um, RTI supports for kids. We presented at a conference. We competed. They came to the school to observe to see if we really do what we say we do. Right. And we won the award. It's called the Stage Promising Practices Award. So we're very excited about that. Oh, yeah, promising so. practices based yeah. on your use of high leverage practices. Yes, ma'am. That's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Lots of accolades coming your way and deservedly, Dr. Harris. I want to hear more about the stories. So I'm curious, do you have a favorite story of when you were successful in providing support to a teacher that made an impact because they remained in education at your school. So I'm going to brag on one of my teachers. I don't um, think they'll mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's a good thing. Yeah. So he was um, just out of college and he came in as one of my paraprofessionals, ISS. And um, we worked with him and, you know, when we can't take for granted that teachers come to us or staff members come to us. Um, gone are the days when teachers can choose, sorry, when admin can pick and choose which teachers they take in, right? It's a teacher's market. Teachers can go wherever Where they, they want. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when people come to you, you got to take care of them. So when he came in, I just out of college and he was at ISIS para, um, I could see the passion in him. Then he became a special ed para. Now he's one of my teachers. Oh. And he just finished his first year and he's, he's, um, really looking forward to his second year. But he's so pumped, you know, he's doing his own self-reflection. But because of how we support him throughout his first year and how we took care of him as a para, he is so pumped about being the best teacher that he can be in the next school year. So to me, that's um, that's the reason why I do this, because the whole point of why I want to be an administrator is to make sure teachers feel accomplished or teachers feel um they're not ashamed to do their own self-reflection, even when they're not perfect. Right. It's about being better. Right. You know, so. you are there for teachers so teachers can be there for students. Absolutely. And what you just described, uh, you know, I think retrospectively, of course he stayed. But now it's because I know about high leverage practices and there's a big collaboration piece of that. Right. You are collaborating with your teachers and they're collaborating with each other, which kind of keeps it all in the family. Yes. Which is a wonderful outcome. Yes. What wisdom would you like to leave Dr. Suzanne Harris with other administrators who are implementing high leverage practices in their schools? The first thing I would say is make sure you have the right data. The wrong data would lead to the wrong um, action plan or action step, which will not give you the results that you're looking for. Uh, The next thing is to trust the process. High leverage uh, practices are there because they work. But if it doesn't work the first time, doesn't mean you just throw it out. Trust the process. See, do your due diligence. See what's not what was not implemented well, and and go back to the drawing board and fix it. But don't just throw it in the trash. Um, the other thing is to be patient. Um, Rome wasn't built in a day. A lot of the issues that we have in public school right now did not ha- start yesterday. It's stuff that's been going on for years. So especially when you're in a turnaround situation, so be patient with yourself as you implement those. Um, those practices so that and and then know that three years is when you usually see the impact um the other thing revisit the data i already talked about choosing the right data but make sure you're going back to the data to check yourself it's like consulting it that's right plan do check act you know you got to make sure you you check back on yourself monitor for fidelity like i said before if it's not implemented right it's not going to give you the right results Mm -hmm. so make sure you're monitoring for fidelity and then celebrate Ah. it's important to celebrate like Along the way, yeah. let your people know they're doing a good job. Yes. Even if it's just an 
a half an inch. Celebrate a half inch. Exactly. We know we want a mile, but a half inch is better than where we were before. <laughs> it's a step in the right That's direction. Right. I love that. Yeah. Celebration. You're doing that for others right. in your school, Dr. Harrison. You need to be doing that for yourself, as we said. You won this <laughs> awesome accolade. As a middle school principal, we're so proud of you. Thank, Thank you for you. being a bastion of high leverage habits in our schools, Thank Suzanne. You. Appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. If this all sounds complicated, let's just borrow a simplified underlying premise from President John Adams. I was talking about in the beginning. Adams said to be good and to do good is all we have to do. You're a great leader. Join us next week for a brand new episode of Classroom Conversations. Bye. Funding for Classroom Conversations is made possible through the School Climate Transformation Grant. 